in the hands of Eddie Van Halen. The guitar just sounded different. That style that he did, I've always thought that was something that he did, and nobody else did it like him. His influence was widespread. An absolute musical monster. His music will live forever. What do you get if you mix Mozart and a mad scientist and give him a guitar? Eddie Van Halen. Metal Mayhem ROC celebrates Eddie one year later with special guests, Van Halen author Greg Renoff and one of the planet's premier Van Halen experts, Mike DiGiorgio. Van Halen was my all-time favorite. Now, here's John the Vernomatic Verno. Good evening, everybody. The Vernomatic with you. And like the guy says, a special edition of Metal Mayhem ROC. We're here tonight to celebrate the one-year anniversary, if you will, of the passing of Eddie Van Halen. Tonight, we welcome Greg Renoff, the author of the book Van Halen Rising and the uh, Ted Templeman book, A Platinum Producer's Life in Music. I also have uh, Mike DiGiorgio from um, 13 Wham TV here in Rochester, New York. He's a big Van Halen fan. Greg, welcome to Metal Mayhem again. How are you doing? Hey, guys. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Say hello to my uh, co-host tonight, Mike DiGiorgio. Mike, great to talk to you. Great to talk to you in in person, Greg. This is great. Condolences all the way around. Uh, We've all had a tough year and a tough week acknowledging the passing of Eddie. Greg, how has this week been for you as the go-to Van Halen guy around the circles? Been a lot of uh, people reaching out to you? How has it been? Yeah, I have heard from a lot of people. I mean, I think it kind of crept up on uh, on folks, crept up on me, sort of you realized that uh, he had passed away in October and then uh, the date was upon us. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's really a, a bittersweet thing to see the celebrations of Eddie um, all across social media and on the radio and playing the music. But on the other hand, recognizing that, you know, Van Halen is definitely uh, no more. Uh, No Eddie Van Halen, no Van Halen. And now David Roth has announced his retirement. So he's not going to be waving the Van Halen flag, so to speak, with his solo band. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a really a a bittersweet um, season uh, uh, to have that all kind of come down in the last couple of weeks. It it doesn't seem like a year. I mean, I'm I'm in the same place in my life as I was a year ago. And it's, I feel like it was, it was, hard like as the as the day unfolded the anniversary i'm like i should be feeling like i did a year ago um and it wasn't the same you know <laughs> the rest of the world had moved on i'm like i still want to keep talking about eddie here everybody in our nerdy social media circles yeah we're still talking about it but i'm looking around at everybody like hey do you guys all realize what happened a year ago yeah and i think back on that year you know it was i think there was a certain um, level of awareness by most people that Eddie had been ill from you know one degree to another. I mean, I think everyone kind of knew that he had multiple bouts with cancer and um, that uh, he, he may not have been doing uh, 100%. But you know, when he passed away, obviously that was a really really shocking uh, announcement to have that come down. I don't think anybody you know saw that coming except maybe his very 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 inner circle. They had kept it very very quiet, which they should have. And so uh, he had to have it happen so fast, and now uh, a year later I have to kind of come to grips with the fact that yeah it's all it's all changed i mean it really is i think even i would say even like a week or two before he passed away i think if you had asked me or anyone else if van hill would ever tour again i thought well you know maybe 
Now, maybe they might do like, you know, maybe they'll do sheds next summer or something or do 30 dates or something, a shorter tour. And it just never, uh, you know, kind of dawned on me, I, at least that that was, it was really the 2015 tour was the end for good. And that, uh, you know, that this was the end for Van Halen permanently. What really got me was right after the Howard Stern Wolfgang appearance, when he started releasing the details, one about the kitchen sink tour, but more importantly, what really hit me was uh, when he gave the timeline, how, how Eddie progressed with uh, the sickness, that motorcycle accident in February, and then how he just progressively, how bad it really was. Yeah, for me, it was it was not surprising that's how he died because we knew for so long he'd been sick, but just a shock that it happened. I mean, I mean the reason we're these fans is these guys are superheroes. They're, yeah. they're immortal to us. Greg, let me ask you, uh, where were you when you heard the news? Yeah, I was ho- at home, actually. Um, and uh, I just happened to be sitting at my computer um, on Twitter when it came up, and I saw Wolfie, uh, or I, maybe it was TMZ. I guess it was TMZ's announcement. I think they were probably first. And I, 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 you know, I saw it almost immediately when it came up just because whatever my algorithm is set up for Van Halen stuff, I wasn't following TMZ, but it popped up. And it was, you know, it was shocked, um, to say the least. It just... Um, kind of left me sort of breathless for a minute. I was just, I just didn't feel real. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was sort of the end of, uh, you know, some portion of my childhood. I think for, for a lot of us, that was the, you know, that was always the thing was the next Van Halen tour, the next Van Halen album, next Van Halen thing. I mean, it was just, that was for me, that was always the, since I was a teenager, um, the thing you think about, there's something coming, right? There's another thing going to happen and never, did you ever think, you know, Van Halen was never going to tour again? And then, of course, when he passes away, that's a whole different thing, too. So it's uh, it just, you know, kind of took my breath away. The whole day turned into, like, the, the next year, like we talked about. You know, we've all been dealing with it. And just the outpour, just the around the world. It's not that I never realized how much Eddie meant to me, and I've been a fan since 79, it's just how much he's affected everyone else to the point where, you know, Eddie, he even had the top of People magazine up up at the top. And the, the, the uh, magazines that were released, yeah, sure, some of it was cash grabs by some magazines, but just the overall uh, love and affection for Eddie. So can you comment on how you have dealt with this throughout the year personally? Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was not surprising in one way, then surprising in another. I mean, I think there was definitely a narrative out there that um, among some some segment, I mean, a big segment of the music listening public, that like Van Halen was kind of you know like old, you know, and uh, like a what's the word I would use? Like almost like a nostalgia band, you know, like oh they're they're old and whatever, it doesn't really matter. And, um, but there was also obviously another large segment of the musical sitting public that understood Eddie's legacy and his impact. And I think, you know, I think unfortunately when people pass away like that, there's a, you know, sort of a reassessment People are like, Oh, actually Van Halen wasn't like all these other bands. I kind of lumped them in with, they were different because they had Eddie and they had a different, you know, song catalog and his, his um, contributions as a technician and as an inventor kind of make him a different um level of of uh figure in in music history and so then you start to see these like you said the tribute magazines and and the uh you know the other thing yeah the uh this the quote-unquote celebrity angle of it you know i think it's uh as van halen fans who kind of grew up uh, like us loving the band 
you know, we kind of lose track of like, um, there was a whole segment of people who maybe weren't the biggest Van Halen fans in the world, but they knew about Eddie being married to Valerie Bertinelli, and he, or maybe they knew about the Michael Jackson thing. It was, there were other things that he did in his life that um, made him transcend just a, as a rock guitarist. And so there's that as well that kind of, you know, make him uh, reach farther than that. So, you know, all in all, I was, I was really um, happy that I really felt he got his due in terms of public adulation with the mural behind Guitar Center and you would turn on Fox Sports and they would have uh, Van Halen music before they went to commercial and stuff like that. And there was a lot of that, you know, billboards and there was a lot of that and you really felt like, you know, this guy was different um, when it all said and done that people really did recognize that, that the sort of, um, you know, the efforts to kind of say that Van Halen is just sort of rehashing their old music and whatever, they don't matter. That sort of fell by the wayside, I think, when... Uh, when Eddie passed away and people really took a harder look at what he had accomplished. And, and you mentioned about, you know, sporting broadcasts, they're going in and out of commercials and that went on for a while that, and it still goes on to this day. Granted, a lot of the um, audio guys that run those big network broadcasters are guys our age. So, (laughs) you know, they're slipping it in there, but um, you know, like when your mother's giving you a phone call and saying, honey, I am so sorry. And, you know, it's just, um, he really transcended. It was, it was our childhood, like you said. And I went through that too. It was like being a widow, if you will. Yeah. I mean, my phone blew up from people. You know, the, you're the first person I thought of when I, when I heard this news. And are you doing all right? And, yeah, so. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Roth announcement. Uh, which, what's your take on this? Well, uh, you know, Roth didn't do any road work during COVID, which makes sense. And then even this year, he sounds like he opted out of the the KISS tour. That's what I read it as eventually when all those statements were made that, that Roth was the one who decided he didn't want to do the KISS tour. Um, you know, I, I think, again, if you had asked me two weeks ago, three weeks ago, is he ever going to tour again? I would have said, well, you know what the thing is? He, he'll probably maybe do something next summer um, because of the... Uh, you know, maybe his age and COVID, maybe he's really hesitant to kind of go out and, and do uh, do a tour. Um, you know, and then this announcement comes down and it's obviously, a, I was I was shocked. Um, I knew he had, you know, committed to do these dates in Vegas, but I, I, it's, I was always of the opinion that David Lee Roth was the type of guy who he'd literally, you know, um, breathe his last breath on a stage uh, performing before he would, you know, willingly retire. Um, you know, and, and saying that, when I really started to sort of mull it over and, you know, not any, based on any sort of conversation with anybody who's in a position to know for sure, you know, just kind of thinking about it, you know, Roth has been talking about how he's had pain in his body from performing since at least the 90s he's talked about. He talked about it in his biography. And then I realized that, you know, last year he talked about how he had spinal fusion, spinal fusion surgery in the last 18 months or so, like a major surgery. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff in that statement that could lead you to believe that it's any number of things that maybe he's ailing because he did definitely talk about his physical condition and his doctors and that being a reason why he was going to retire. But, you know, I think unless there's another explanation, which there may be, and I hope to God not, I hope he's you know healthy otherwise other than his orthopedics situation. I mean, certainly um, I know people in my extended family have had major back surgery and, you know, it's it's not like your doctor advises you to go do things like dance on stage or jump or like, get on and off tour buses and do sort of physical activity. And they say, you got to take it easy. Like walking is like, 
you know, walking is pretty much it after you've had a major back surgery. That's kind of the suggestion, right? It's like not to do things that would make you um, at risk with that um, that surgery. And so, you know, it's thinking about it that way. It may just be a matter of of that Roth is just physically his body just can't take the type of Van Halen physicality that he needs to do to do that type of set. Um, and along those lines, the other thing I'd say is that Roth retiring. You know, to me, I read that as like I'm retiring from being Diamond Dave and Van Halen. Now, does that mean he would never do something like a spoken word tour, like a Henry Rollins style thing, or is he not going to do stand up com stand up comedy? Or there's again, I'm just sort of spitballing, and maybe Roth would you know say like I I'm no interest in doing that. I don't want to do that at all, and maybe he doesn't want to do any of that stuff. But you know, that would be you know I think one way of of kind of reading between the lines is just physically he's had you know he broke his ankle multiple times he had orth- multiple orthopedic surgeries we know he had the spinal fusion just physically cannot do it anymore um and he wants to do it on end, end it on his own terms he has these shows which i i believe are makeup shows for ones that were canceled in, in vegas during the pandemic so i don't think these are new dates i think these are probably just um fulfilling a contract i don't know that for sure but that's my i I think that's probably right and so he's just you know this is it i'm done um in terms of doing that type of stuff there's no money made a very big point of saying there's no more van halen you know alex and i talked and there's no more van halen and this is it where it ends with us and you know that's the end of it and so um that 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 would be one way to look at it but certainly it's you know it's uh it's a sad moment as well again especially coming right uh right before the anniversary of eddie's death that's uh it was pretty heavy news to hear that from roth greg what do you think of how much he's mentioning alex uh whenever the the rare public appearances he's making he's always talking about how he's just talked to alex he mentioned him three or four times in that short little yeah you know i think there's some like multiple ways to think about that i don't you know maybe he and alex talk all the time or maybe it's one of these things where like you know people say how often do you talk to your mom i talk to her all the time you know really you're talking to her like once a week or something like you know maybe maybe dave brain is like you know he's like we talk every day three times a day and it's really making like once every three weeks i i have no idea um you know but part of it i think sort of speaks to the fact that roth probably you know feels feels now that it's over that he wants to really plant that flag to be like you know what it was our our version of van halen and i don't mean that it's sort of any sort of like nasty rivalry with sammy but i think probably now with eddie's passage it's probably more for, foremost in his mind that it began with Roth and ended with Roth and that's sort of how he wants to sort of put that out in the public um, you know then, then there's been this business about people saying that Alex is basically that Dave said Alex is going to join him on stage yeah, and I, no. I, I've been like uh, no he didn't yeah, say I mean, that <laughs> no he didn't say you know and that's one of these like classic I hate to use that phrase, but fake news things that started apparently. I think I honestly think it, it started with Yahoo News, that, where the reporter made a mistake, probably misheard, probably was like trying to write the article quickly yeah. and misheard what Roth said, and suddenly that's like repeated over and over again. And um, you know, I, I, uh, I, yeah, I dare say to people who, who have asked me, I said, you know, go to Vegas no. and see Roth. I said, if you're if you're spending extra money uh, that you weren't planning on spending to see Roth because you think Alex is going to show up, I said it's highly and perform i say that's extremely i would think that would be extremely unlikely now is it possible i don't think this is going to happen i would be i would be very very surprised this happening but that you know maybe maybe alex shows up and watches the show and you see that classic picture backstage they're like kind of arm in arm or something like 
you know, kind of closing the door on that legacy. I don't think that's going to happen. And Alex has never been like the let's go out to a concert type of guy, as you guys know. Like he never does that stuff, but maybe he would. But um, you know, that's it's um, it's it's uh, probably likely that Roth will say something more about it. I mean, I think he said like this is the only thing you're going to ever hear me say about it, and I don't. I think we all it's, know it's, it's Dave. It's never I think been that's true of Dave. Probably. Yeah, probably. You know, Ale yeah. wasn't in the best shape either, and he hasn't played in five or six years. And just to rehearse and get up there, and he's never played with anyone else. Yeah, I would think Alex Van Halen is retired. Yeah. I've come to that conclusion a long time ago. Hey, when we see the only sightings we have from him is some 30 second some stalker in a, the, in the, in the car, in the car. <laughs> you know, it's uh, and don't you think they would bill it if you could get Alex Van Halen with David Lee Roth, that would be on the marquee. They wouldn't call it Van Halen, but they would call this David Lee Roth and Alex Van Halen. And I think it may be in bigger places than Mandolin Bay or wherever they're playing. Maybe, you know, a yes, bigger House venue. Of Blues, yeah. Commenting on the whole kiss thing. Gene, when he made those comments, it was pretty harsh. It was pretty, um, you know, he was sort of a dick on it the, about Dave. And then he quickly, you know, circled back and made good. And if they, and I would imagine if Dave was sick, terminally sick, I don't think he would be saying stuff like that. What, what's your take on the whole Gene Simmons and attacking Dave? Yeah, I, I you know. I didn't even know what to think about that. I mean, I think it's like one of these things now, unfortunately, with interviews, it's like Blabbermouth has sort of pioneered this thing, like where someone goes on an hour and a half podcast and they say one weird thing like that becomes the headline. Um, you know, it doesn't, I'm not trying to like give Gene a pass. I mean, I think it was a cheap shot. And I think like, to be honest with you, I mean, I've seen Kiss over the past, few, probably over the last decade, I've seen Kiss. And, you know, I've seen them, I first saw them in the 90s, a little late, but I saw them. And, you know, there's definitely been, there's definitely been a, a decline in performance as well. Um, it might be a different type of decline in performance, but it's not the same. It's not the same thing. So I did think it was kind of a, a, a weird, um, a weird cheap shot in this sort of, you know, this sort of uh, like, Oh, you know, we're still like, we're basically like, we're still killing it. But Dave is like done. And I'm thinking like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to get the details about it. You guys can kind of understand. I mean, there's been like a lot of things with kids performances that have been kind of, I would say under some scrutiny for reasons that, you know, like I think for good reasons that there's things that like kind of, yeah. If it's true, Dave bailed on them, then there's probably a little bitter feeling there. It's kind of that you didn't break up with me. I broke up with you attitude going on. Yeah, yeah. it could be that. I mean, it could be that. I mean, I think like, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, you know, I, uh, they clearly don't think an opening act We'll sell them more tickets because I, you know, no, no offense to this Gar Garibaldi, the painter, right? But I don't think anybody's going. Anyone's going. Oh, you know what? The real thing is going to be great. I'm going to see. You know, David. No offense to him, right? He's a great painter or whatever. But like, nobody's like buying tickets to see him. Like, if they brought out another band, whoever that would be, um, you know, you bring out the Struts or something like that. I'm just make that up. You bring out the Struts, and there's there's a, you know, um, a sense this is a good a good band and they're a good live band and there may be some you know like oh i mean i, I really like the struts i want to go see the struts and kiss and they might sell you know a thousand more tickets at a venue or 500 or more but i don't you know I, it's i don't even know what the what the motivation was for kind of like tearing down dave you know what i mean so for that it's like what's the what's the motivation you have a painter opening for you it's not like you yeah. like upgraded it to like this like oh we got someone so much better. i mean i'm not even taking a shot at dave it's not like we're like we 
you know, we brought in this amazing band. They're so young and they're so vibrant. We, you know, you guys didn't even, you defaulted to something, you know, even like less, even if you, for the people or person who hates Roth, it's even less appealing than, you know, so even the Roth hater, I think would probably see, rather see a rock band than see a guy painting. I'm in a rock show. Uh, you, now you recently saw him in Tulsa and there was a, uh, the show that you were supposed to see was the show that when uh, COVID started, how was, how was the attendance the other night when you saw him? You know, it was probably about 85% full. It was pretty, you know, uh, Tulsa typically turns out pretty heavily for these types of uh, shows is, you know, like Mott Laney shows have all done, done well. It's a good, a good town for that. I thought it was, you know, it was, it was more, um, probably more full than I thought. And I certainly had, um, you know, had a, uh, a sense that, there was there at least was some sense that the t- this tickets were selling not so well, but for whatever it's worth, it was it was pretty you know it was pretty full. I would say like I say you know eighty five percent ninety percent would be a reasonable um, estimate. And you know the, the show itself is is basically the same show they've been doing for the last decade. And some you know it's just it's it's almost it was almost a carbon copy of the show. I don't remember the last time they came to Tulsa play was it twenty seventeen. 2016. I don't remember when the last time they came through, but it was basically a carbon copy of that show. If I'm being honest with you, and it just was, you know, those guys were slowed down. I would say that there's definitely you can see there's like, you know, understandably so. They're you know they're older and they're not moving like they used to move, and so there's definitely like you know that's what I mean about the shots at Roth, and it's not even like a shot of Gina Paul. It's just reality. You're aging. It's like can't we all like be nice to each other? It's not like you know those guys are like you know these like 30 year old guys like busting on the old dude who's opening it for them or something. We're talking with Greg Reinoff, author of the book Van Halen Rising and the Ted Templeman book, A Platinum Producer's Life in Music. Since you did the book, have you ever heard from any of the people that you had originally interviewed and did they come forward with any more information? And were, was there any regrets not following up on any info? And third, any questions been answered since the book came out that you were wondering about you know um i interviewed a couple hundred people for the book and you know there there were there were definitely some people who i wish i could have spoken to i mean i don't even even can't even put my finger on who they would be at this point there were definitely some people who probably you know um had held a backyard party or was a promoter or something and i wasn't able to find i mean there was actually a uh, a woman whose name uh, is English Kathy. That's what she, I, I, I can't remember her her, um, her last name, but that was kind of her nickname was English Kathy. And she, she booked gigs for Van Halen in like 75 and, you know, was in, in some ways man- like, you know, managing them and kind of uh, quotes um, where she was, you know, not functioning like a, you know, like a Irving Azoff type of manager was probably helping those guys get gigs. And I wasn't able to find her. She's since kind of, you know, she's been around and talked to um, a couple of other journalists. That would have been interesting to talk to her because she, you know, she had some really, uh, I think, some really cool interactions with the band. I took some cool pictures of them. But, um, you know, uh, in terms of like answering questions, I mean, I think, you know, I think there's always um, there really wasn't any like major revelations that came came along that were like would have like changed the narrative of the story very much. I mean, there was one thing that I did find out was kind of a better sense of when the Van Halen demo was done with Ted Templeman. That was that was something that was kind of unknown to me when I did the book. Um, but you know, otherwise, I uh, you know, I feel like for the type of book I wanted to write and the story I wanted to tell and the things I was hoping to um, uncover in doing the book, I feel like I got those um, those things nailed down pretty well. And it's still, I think it stands as the sort of, you know, the um, as the sort of uh, 
the go-to book for the early I mean, if you want to read about how those guys came to to make it i think that still stands uh my book stands up pretty well in that area so that's i'm pretty proud of that hey greg i'm curious in the year since eddie's passed uh because of his passing have you learned anything more about him well i mean i think one of the things i i you know i learned uh, about him i mean i think the thing that really sticks out of my mind for instance would be the the video that came out pretty much i think a couple weeks after he passed away from uh, the Jason Becker family showing Eddie going to see Jason Becker. You know, I, there had been, um, you know, lots of stories about Eddie being charitable, you know, doing uh, uh, Mr. Holland's opus and these other things, but to sort of see him one-on-one with a, with a guy who had this terrible disease that had taken away his ability to play guitar and really see how empathetic Eddie was. And you could see how that really just tore him up. Um, you could see it on his face about imagining himself. I'm sure like all of a sudden someone took away your ability to play your instrument. And that was very, uh, that was very um, revealing, I think, about his true character and, you know, whatever people say about him and his, you know, maybe not his best moments. And we all have bad moments in life and things we regret. I mean, I think that really kind of spoke to his true, uh, you know, true person who he was. And so that was, you know, that was something I'd obviously not seen before he passed away. And to see that, it just was amazing. One, one quick question, too, about, uh, about that. It's, it's a weird thing with celebrity death now in this age when someone passes you go to twitter and you look at what their co-stars and their friends are all saying about him i've been kind of surprised i don't know about you to find out who eddie's friends were you know because he was so private i didn't know he was that close to tony iomi for instance and tony iomi's been saying all kinds of nice things or brian may or nancy wilson were you surprised to find out who he knew well you know um i I guess i wasn't um super surprised about um those relationships, I sort of had assumed that, you know, that with Iomi and uh, maybe Nancy, that he would have um, known them for a long time. But, you know, even like, you know, George Lopez would be, be the example. And there were, you know, there were certainly uh, people who were involved in other auto racing and other things where, um, you know, the Van Halen's, the names don't really are sticking out to me, but they would come out and say, hey, you know what, uh, we knew Eddie and Alex. And they're sort of, you know, talking about their, um, their interest in these things other than, uh, just you know music and just sort of say because they did he transcended um you know transcended music and rock alone and so you know that kind of gets back to what i was saying earlier about him being a person who was you know um had the ability to meet people nfl players and people you know everyone knew who he was and so that was you know respected him for his ability and so that was that was cool cool to see um yeah um any update on what janie's up to uh you really haven't heard anything from her um i know they're private people just have you heard anything what she's doing and how she's I, I yeah i um i can only tell you that you know whatever she posted on instagram is all i know and yeah. uh and she posted that picture was which was you know definitely uh pulled on the heartstrings about her and uh her and her her marriage to ed so uh you know that's got to be a, a extremely uh difficult thing obviously to have that um in your rear view mirror in life and have to go on. She's a relatively young woman and that's, uh, yeah, it's sad, it's but, um, no, I don't know. I don't know much about what, uh, what she's up to other than what I see on social media. Any input, any communication with Wolfgang ever? <laughs> only on, only what you see on Twitter, you know, it's like, you know, he's, uh, so, um, you know, he's been, uh, you know, he's been, uh, a person who, I think it's brought a lot to the table in terms of uh, kind of giving fans the chance to interact with somebody who was uh, in Van Halen for a lot of years and kind of kind of speak to the 
the stuff that goes on in the band. And it was, you know, that was a, a cool thing, I think, for all of us to have that where, you know, it was always kind of radio silence from all the members of Van Halen, except, you know, Sammy. I mean, like the three three other guys in the band with uh, Wolfie. And so to have the sun come out and uh, be speaking so um, directly and forcefully about stuff about Van Halen, especially these interviews with Howard Stern and, you know, all the other ones he did, it was really kind of, uh, kind of shocking in some ways to be like, not that I wouldn't expect him to speak, but to have someone say, oh, by the way, all this stuff you've been speculating for the last five years about Van Halen, let me tell you. And that was, you know, it was very cool to hear that stuff. Obviously, I wish it was under different circumstances um, after his father passed away, but to have a member of Van Halen kind of say, yeah, you, you know, you thought this or this is that, but this is really what was going on. It was inc- amazing. And we owe Wolfgang probably for the last stuff we got yeah. from Van Halen, if you think about it. Oh, definitely. It. Definitely. No question. And then that whole kitchen sink, it's just like, it, it doesn't, it's nothing compared to loss of life, but it's just like, man, we we're so close. It was. I wonder if it was going to happen. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know. But you know, we always hope. I hate to be that guy, but uh, Greg, I want to quickly segue into uh, get some input on the Sunset Studio sessions, and I'm going to introduce Ian O'Rourke. Ian is a um, musician. He's a guitarist and vocalist of the New York band Motorlord. Ian, uh, welcome to Metal Mayhem. Say hello to Greg Renoff. Hey, Greg. It's very nice to speak with you. Hey, it's a pleasure. Great to talk to you. So I had some questions, and I know that you uh, – I've, I've watched your interview with, with uh, Sunset Studios ex- extensively several times. Did you get a, a feel that there was maybe more material that was captured there that maybe is tucked away in some of the old Van Halen vault that maybe someday we'll see. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that there, there is probably enough material. Um, if Alex and Wolf would want to release it, that would, you know, would, would could provide a few bonus tracks on each album. And again, I'm not talking about like, you know, five or six things, but um, you know, a couple of songs here, a couple of songs there um, that could, you know, could really uh, provide some real interest for uh fans of the band i think it all comes down to the last thing i heard about this definitively was from alex van halen maybe like 15 years ago saying you know in effect we don't want to put other stuff out because we think the albums were um put together at that time to be the best they could be meaning in 1984 83 82 whenever the albums came out and they're you know they're you just be cheapening what they were by turning around and putting more stuff on them so um the answer to the question is, yeah, I mean, if I were up to me, I think I would say, yeah, you should, this stuff should should come out. It's uh, it's Van Halen at their peak, and, you know, even if it's not like, uh, you know, the song might have been a little bit lesser than some of the songs they put on their album, people would still want to hear it, appreciate the band for what it is. Greg, when you're at Sunset Studios and you're with Brian uh, Kehue, I believe that's yep. a gentleman's uh-huh. name, uh, first of all, the, God, talk about uh, being in the candy store. That just must have been amazing being in there. Did, when the camera stopped and you walked around, what did you take out of that? What was shared with you about this whole experience that left you in awe, where you said to yourself, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here. And was there any – what was it really like in there? Well, you know, when you go into the uh, the studio itself, 
there's you know a little entrance lobby and there's a little there's a couch in there and there's where the gold records are and then you you know then you kind of walk to the different rooms and uh you know when you go into studio two and that's the, the spot where the famous uh you know uh photo shoot was done with their amps and the mcdonald's wrappers and the beer cans all over the ground and where they were they recorded a lot of the a lot more probably they did most of the recording for the Van Halen records in that room. It's the bigger of the two rooms. You know, it it's kind of takes your breath away because it's you're there in that same spot where all these great albums were recorded by Van Halen, but also realizing that bands like Led Zeppelin and Little Feet and, you know, uh, Fleetwood Mac and the Doors and all these other groups uh worked in these rooms. It was it was really incredible to um to stand in those spots and kind of look around and kind of imagine. In fact, you know, I um it it uh it really was uh you know kind of hard to hard to take it all in at that moment and uh they also got i got to see into um where they have basically an equipment room and they showed me some of the microphones and different equipment that dated back to van halen times and they pulled out one mic in particular which they they call the prince microphone and it's a, a microphone that probably dates back to the 1960s that Prince liked and used and sang on, and they actually have a label on it that says the Prince mic. And, you know, so they, they have that because, um, you know, I don't know if they have the equipment for all the years, but uh, it, if people request it, they're like, what mic did Prince sing through? Because they, when they want to record and send that sound, they want to use the same microphone that Prince used. And so it's like, <laughs> you know, that actually, you know, like looking at that, you're like, wow, like the guy sang like Little Red Corvette into that microphone. That was, you know, that was really incredible. And, um, you know, it just is a, it's a facility that's been there since the 60s. And uh, even before it was, uh, interestingly enough, even before like rock music was recorded there, a lot of the early, early Disney movies, like I'm talking like, you know, bed knobs and broomsticks and all of these are sort of live action, like the live action Disney movies from the 60s that had songs in them. That was the studio that was used for that stuff that they used to, you know, they used to do the songs for the movies. And just when you had that, um, in the back of your head, you're like, wow, this is really, you know, this is really an amazing uh, facility. So, it, you know, it, it definitely gives you a sense of history and a sense of uh, appreciation for uh, what was accomplished in that room, in those that, that studio and everything that really uh, was game changing about the uh, music. Greg, the reverb chamber the room that they use uh-huh. growing up as a kid you know you, you would hear these stories about this room and you think it's this big monolith you know that's this gigantic room truth is it's i guess it's not really that big it's just the way uh-huh. that it is constructed and laid out is that the case yeah you know i didn't get the chance to see it now the reverb room is off of studio one and so um studio one was occupied that day i actually did not go into studio one which is the smaller of the two studio rooms and it's actually, um, it's, yeah, it's only accessible from Studio One, but I've seen pictures of it like you have. And uh, yeah, I, uh, from what I understand, it looks very similar to the way it did back in the 60s, you know, 70s. It was just a, you know, kind of a small room that has these very, very, um, you know, uh, smooth walls that what, uh, when a, a, a guitar part, for example, is recorded out in the studio, main studio room, and then it's what the, the process is, is then that is played back through a speaker which is sitting inside the reverb room and there's a microphone there so that that guitar sound comes out of the speaker and it's recorded again, basically by the microphone and it captures the reverb. But yeah, it's uh, that's something if I ever get the chance to go back, which I hope to one day, you know, to kind of see that those other little nooks and crannies of sunset sound, that would be, that'd be incredible. Um, you know, Pete Thorne, who's a great guitar player. He did a video. If you guys want to check it out on his YouTube where he was able to show, um, kind of, I think that the layout of studio one and maybe a little bit of the reverb room. It's a, it's uh 
you know, it's it's kind of beyond comprehension when you think about like, oh, that's where you know the Doors' first album, Jim Morrison's vocals were done through there, and you know, the Doors and Van Halen and all these other groups. It's just, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it really was a uh, a special special day I got to spend there. I was going to mention about uh, Pete Thorne uh, when you were talking about all of the, you know, the the, the charitable actions that uh, the Eddie has, has, you know, conducted over the years and different people that he's met. And Pete has gone extensively to talk about the the handful of times that he's got to spend with Ed and actually going to fifty one fifty and you know has pictures you know uh, that Ed took with him with a guitar up on the roof of the studio and things like that and. You know, he's he's probably one of the uh, I guess we all are, you know, I know deep down inside, you know, I'm the reason I play guitar is Ed Van Halen. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that Pete is probably in that same conversation and, you know, would be kindred spirits with the rest of us, so to speak. Yeah, I thought it was um, I thought it was really uh, great that Pete got a chance to go to Sense of Sound, and, you know, uh, set up some amps and play in the same spot that ed played it's uh you know it's got to be uh as you as you said before kind of a you know a thing where you look back on the the friendship that you had with him and he was able to uh Pete was able to spend time with him and stuff and then have to go and kind of stand in the spot where it stood in inside the studio one and sunset sound it's uh yeah it's um it's got to be a very uh a bittersweet feeling for pete but uh you know he's been a great uh asset i think to the van halen fan world and he's really you know, wave the flag for Van Halen and, and really giving people who are huge guitar fans a chance to sort of think about the way I had different, different things and sort of unlocking some of the secrets and just kind of chasing tone like every other guitar player who loves Van Halen. The one thing out of those videos that I found fascinating was that little tidbit about they did the cowbell to uh, hear about it later. So share that story. What, what are the details behind that? Yeah, there's um so there's a little basketball court, um, like a little um in between the studio buildings, you can step outside um into fresh air and there's a brick walls, but it's the walls of the studio and there's a basketball court there. And that the way that Don Landy told me the story was that um they recorded the cowbell for Hear About It Later on Fair Warning inside Studio Two, presumably, where they had Alex's drum set up, and then Ted Templeman and Don Landy decided that it wasn't loud enough that basically they they thought it could be louder and they tried to do uh, another take of it and they did they put the cowbell outside and set it up and had alex hit the cowbell in between these two brick walls which are fairly close together i think if i know the spot i i never went there with don and i don't know if i know exactly the spot where it was done but you know it would be like you know um like an alleyway almost like a kind of a just between two brick walls and sort of that's where he did it to kind of like get that real loud cowbell sound and he told me that i was like oh wow that's that's cool um you know that was a cool uh, little thing that i had not heard before so um yeah that's what that's about <laughs> that's awesome before we finish up here ian you wanted to ask greg about um what's on the docket for the future for him professionally well i i think a person that especially after I, I, I watched your, uh, you know, your interview with, with Izzy uh, recently. And I, I think that Rodney Bingenheimer, you would be the ideal person to tap him and get some of those old stories flushed out, you know, it, not just Van Halen, but I mean, he's been involved with so many bands throughout the years. He was kind of like the, 
you know, one of the central pulses of the, uh, the scene in uh, LA and stuff back in the day. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. you know, I, um, I was told and interestingly enough that Rodney still eats breakfast or lunch, or I don't know what the word, whenever at, at Denny's on sunset Boulevard every day. And he's been doing it since like seventies. <laughs> like if you're like, we're like, if you want to talk to Rodney, just go sit in Denny's all day and like, just keep drinking coffee. And eventually he's going to show up. Um, you know, I'm glad you brought up Rodney. Rodney is, I think one of the most un- unsung and underappreciated people in rock history. Um, you know, if you talk to anybody who was on the scene about Rodney, they will talk about how he was always around and promoting bands, whether it was radio show or just being a guy who was just a connector who would introduce people to other people and help bring, um, you know, he's the guy who brought David Bowie uh, to him, uh, to Hollywood first, if I remember correctly. And, you know, he brought Iggy Pop to Hollywood, if I remember correctly. And, you know, kind of, um, was always the one who was right there in the middle of it. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the stories that Rodney has told on, uh, the, um, the, the documentary he did were really, really cool. But, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, there's, that's an interesting person to think about in terms of another, um, another, uh, thing to write about because he's a, uh, he's, he's definitely a, an unusual figure in so many other ways too. I mean, he's definitely not, um, kind of a cookie cutter, you know, rock, rock guy. I mean, he's definitely got the sort of a, a very, uh, eccentric tastes and you know this guy who promoted everything from the Ramones and Blondie to Van Halen and really uh he was uh yeah he was one of the first guys to kind of get Van Halen on the radar in Hollywood so and all the credit to Rodney Bangenheimer yeah I just what it was the first thing that popped into my head when you were conducting that interview I was like you know that would be the ideal person for Greg to maybe set focus on at some point in the future because his connection with Van Halen, I mean, connection with the runaways, you said Bowie. I mean, there's just so many. And it's endless. I mean, it's endless. Go goes. I mean, yeah. the endless is absolutely endless. I mean, the bangles, yeah. I mean, all these groups, I mean, were, you know, all sort of, um, you know, pushed by Rodney earlier or were they, you know, they, they, uh, were, he was there, he was at the center of all of it. Yep. Amazing. Ian, thank you for uh, taking the time to join us tonight. Uh, we'll uh, stay in touch. Yes, sir. Thank you, Greg. And uh, thanks, Mike and uh, Vernal, for having me on the show with you. Hey, hey pleasure. Thanks. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. My, uh, Mike, I got parting shots. Any comments? I guess the question, as we got Greg here to ask about what the next project might be, I want another Van Halen book. I would love <laughs> a Don Landy but. book. <laughs> you know, um, the last year or so for me was, was kind of a challenging one because of COVID and my family situation. I wasn't able to get a lot of writing done. And so I'm just trying to get my feet back under me here and uh, look towards trying to do another book. I, you know, I definitely have another Van Halen book um, in me. I'm not sure when that's going to be uh, when I'm going to write, but that's uh, definitely true. I mean, I think uh, I, I have more to say on that, but um, yeah, I appreciate you guys interested. I'm not ready to announce anything just yet, but you know, it's uh it's a uh, a nice a nice thing to have the two books out and people really uh, have uh, responded well to them and I, I know that Ted was really uh, really surprised at the response I think he you know I think Ted was always a guy who kind of underappreciated his his um, his uh, impact in the world of music he's not a big you know not a big egomaniac type of guy I mean I know he knows he did hit records but he's not walking around like you know reading his own press clippings or like wondering like well, you know what are people saying about me on the internet so you know, it's been nice for him to see that people really liked the book beyond like, oh, just the Van Halen stuff. They said, oh, it's a good story, you know, a good story about a, a guy who, um, you know, wanted to be a musician and got involved in music and was a pop star and then became a 
a Grammy winning producer. So he's been really um, pleased with that. So, you know, there'll be another, there'll be another book. Um, you know, I don't think on the topic of Don, I don't think, you know, Don is a guy who I don't think would ever, ever uh, agree to do a book. I feel uh, fortunate that I've got a chance to talk to Don on a number of occasions. And he's, you know, shared that little, like those tidbits about like the cowbell and stuff. But, um, you know, there's a reason why some guys are on one side of the glass or the other. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, he's um, a pretty, uh, pretty private person and uh you know he would uh <laughs> i think he would be uh uncomfortable with doing a book but i you know i, I listen I, I you know i i i can't get enough uh van halen stuff and he would be an ideal person to you know get more uh you know obviously more stories from the great guys so here's a fun little uh connection that i learned from the templeman book paul curcio associated with uh ted and doobie brothers and all that well, Curcio was originally from Rochester, New York. And after that period, he moved back and he owned the studio where uh, Metallica recorded the Kill 'em All album. Mm-hmm. So last fall, when the, it was the anniversary of the um, observance of Cliff Burton's death in late September, I happened to do an exclusive interview with the second chair engineer on the Kill 'em All this uh, guy, Andrew Robleski. And the the whole tie came together with Curcio and the studio and Metallica's tied as, ties to Rochester. And it's a whole fascinating, um, you know, early, early 80s metal connection. Megaforth, Johnny Z, Metallica, mm-hmm. Rochester, Curcio, how they, uh, Zazula brokeraged a deal with Curcio, to he didn't have any money but he needed a studio and it was just just fascinating but it all went back i'm like that name curcio and it went back to the templeman book and yeah he was uh yeah bay area guy and yeah like you said like he was involved with the doobies and some other and uh, some other groups you know he was involved with that that uh beginnings of the 70s and so yeah so all right well greg um mike you want to say goodbye before we let greg go i i do greg this has been a lot of fun uh love both books. Um, one quick question, actually, for you: as you approach your next subject or subjects you consider, because you're a historian, do you look at something that's too recent and think I can't go there? Are you a biographer? Are you a historian? What, what do you go for with with your subject? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think I, I, you know, I don't really consider myself a journalist. I mean, I think sometimes that'll kind of come up with people, you know, asking me about whether I'm a journalist, and I'm like, not really a journalist. I am a historian. Um, and so, you know, in covering like, you know, things that have just, you know, just transpired. Yeah. I think it's probably always best as a historian to sort of have that, um, you know, that time lag. And certainly I, I would, you know, definitely feel more comfortable writing about something where you have that historical perspective going back 30, you know, 20, 30 years, if possible to kind of look at something then sort of like try to make sense of something that happened like two months ago, you know? So yeah, I definitely think I'm a historian. Van Halen's still fun for you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is in a lot of ways, and like with the, uh, you know, just the um, the legacy of the band, and you know, all the things that I enjoy about it. It's uh, it's definitely become a different thing, you know, since Ed's passed away. It's just not even the fact that he's he's gone. I mean, it's just more. It's just um, just that it's it's over. You know, like you really have the finality. It's one thing to be like, well, Eddie Van Halen has passed away, and that's a sad thing personally for me and for millions of other people. But it's also the reality that it's. Um, you know, there's no more Van Halen, you yeah. know, and that's a different type of thing. It's not like any other band where you can speculate right. and say, who are they going to get and what are they going to do right. next? Right, right. It's definitely over, so. 
well, this is over because it sounds like your dog has to get out. So, <laughs> Greg Ranoff, thank you for your time. And, you know, well, we'll stay in touch. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Happy to do it. Enjoyed it very much. Okay. We'll Have a good Greg. night, sir. Thanks. Bye-bye. Wow, that dog uh, <laughs> was either hungry or had was, to go was, for a walk. It was time. All right. Well, hey, Mike DiGiorgio, thanks for uh, staying up past your bedtime and coming up here and um, sort of celebrating the life of Eddie Van Halen. I could talk Van Halen for hours. So, yeah, so we can. Any, anytime. And we're going to. I'm going to get you back on the show at better hours, and we're going to go over Mike DiGiorgio's top 100, top 133 Van Halen songs. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a fantastic list, and um, I have a question for that. How have, sure. you, how have you been doing that? Did you um, uh, write it all out and then just schedule posts? I made the list about a year ago. Um, I just, I literally every few hours go over to the computer and post a new one. Okay. So if you're listening <laughs> out there, um, my Facebook friends have been subjected to my posting. I love it. Up to I 134 posts. If you go to the metal mayhem ROC group, group, uh, Facebook group page, you'll Mike and I are friends. You'll see it on there and just follow us. Follow Mike DiGiorgio on, um, Twitter and Facebook and you'll See what he's talking about. And so I'm having to defend some choices. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's tonight's show. God bless Eddie. And uh, you know what? As the saying says, um, keep it heavy. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. We'll see you next week, folks. Metal for Life. Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE-DB Radio.